A weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Sir with Insider Perks. Apologies, we got a couple minute late start there. It's really weird. We were talking beforehand and I had to disconnect and reconnect the network and then it just kicked everybody out of the software. So it's been a while since we've had a bug here. It excite me. Like I had to figure it out really quick and troubleshoot and it makes my brain work on a Wednesday sleepy day in the middle of the afternoon. But super excited to be here with you guys for our fifth week episode. We don't usually have these, so we don't have panel recurring guests here, but we do have three four really good people three good guests i didn't mean to discount you dan there i see you there so really excited to be here with jenny uh mccullough from terramore outdoor resorts dan and angela who are going to tell you about their campground they own Coyona range in minnesota and jim ritchie from aon rv you guys want to go around just briefly introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you have to offer and then we can dive into your stories whoever wants to start you want me to start i can start <laughs> so i'm jenny i'm with a uh... Campgrounds of America, KOA, and I manage their new brand, Terramore Outdoor Resorts, which is more of a high-end, elevated glamping experience. It's nice to be here. Thanks for letting me be on your show, Brian. Thanks for being here, Jenny. Appreciate it. Dan and Angela, you want to go? So, yes, I'm Angela Ogstead. Uh, it's my husband, Dan. We own Cayenne Range Campground. We It's an RV campground located in north central Minnesota, specifically in Crosby, which has really become a big destination area in Minnesota over the last several years. We've developed the campground over about a two and a half year time period and opened last summer. So we're very new, still kind of learning the ropes. So definitely excited to be a part of the conversation today and learn some things and hear from Jenny and Jim. So yeah, thank you for having us on, Brian. Awesome. Except Dan, do you have anything to add? <laughs> Angela nailed it pretty well. All right. Well, excited to have you guys here. For those of you who are watching for the first time, apparently this is Dan and Angela's first podcast. I don't want you guys to be yeah. nervous because this is my first podcast too. <laughs> Jim. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm Jim Ritchie. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Aon RV. We're located in Reno, Nevada. We're building what we think is the most high-tech small RV designed to go off-road, off-grid, camp all season, built with lots of technology, kind of unique things, trying to bring a new spin to the RV space for adventurers, overlanders, people like that, and excited to be here. Most high-tech, I'm going to definitely grill you on. We're going to find out. We're going to sure. Later, give you some hard-hitting questions later. Yeah. Let me just jump in. I did spend 30 years in Silicon Valley running most of the software companies and I actually was running a AI company in San Francisco before doing this. So I'm happy to be grilled. <laughs> All right. Can it fly? Can't fly, but so it can be controlled remotely by apps. And we're actually we're planning to implement some AI features in it as well. All right. Let's just start with you here for a second then, Jim. We'll talk to you. So tell us a little bit about what the history of Aon RV, right? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I'm a big backcountry skier hiker, biker, and lived, had a house in San Francisco. And I wanted my own small van or RV to go out and enjoy the great outdoors. Looked around, didn't like anything that was on the market. So I thought I'd build my own just to build one and designed it in CAD for fun while running a software company in San Francisco. I talked to a buddy of mine to building one. We were just going to build for, for our own use. And I spent about a year doing that, took it to a trade show and the industry went crazy about it and got a bunch of orders. So we threw up a website and now we're here three years later with about a 130 unit backlog. We've delivered 12 customer units. We'll deliver another 60 this year and kind of have a real company. So that's what we're doing. And they're just trying to bring some outside thinking to the RV space, which 
historically has been a little bit insular, I would say. Interesting to me, 80% of RVs in the U.S. are built in one county in Indiana, Elkhart. And so we're just trying to bring a different way of thinking about building RVs and providing a way for people to go out and enjoy the outdoors. Awesome. All right. So let me ask you this. What problem were you in your mind? There's probably multiples, right? As you got into the product mm-hmm. design, you thought I could do this better or that differently. Or, But when you first started designing that in your CAD, when you were working in San Francisco, what were you trying to solve primarily that you found frustrating? The primary thing was a true all season RV. A lot of RVs like to say that, but that means what's unique about us is we're about built out of what are called FRPs or fiberglass reinforced insulated panels. And our whole RV box is glued together. So it's not built like using traditional things like aluminum frames and fasteners. By building out of FRPs and all fiberglass, we have a much stronger, a much better insulated box than a traditional RV. And that was the primary thing we were trying to solve for a true four season RV. And then secondly, was just using much more modern components, higher tech components. It's all electric inside. We don't use propane, things like that. Just taking a modern, more modern approach and making it all software controlled. All right. So then let's talk, let's pivot that and talk, cause this is your wheelhouse, right? Tech in Silicon Valley. And you mentioned AI a little bit, although AI has been around since 1943. I did learn that the other day. But talk to us about some of the tech and the things that, that are, because obviously there's a place for people who want to go four seasons, off-roading, all the versatility, right? But then they also want that comfort of home sometimes that they want to bring with them. So how does the tech help them do that? We have a lot of features so you can remotely monitor and control, the, say, the heating, cooling. So we have features where if you're away from your unit, one of the things we wanted to do was able to keep our, we travel with our dog. I think 65% of RVers travel with animals. So we wanted, if we're like in a national park where we couldn't take the dog on the trail, we wanted to be able to put the dog in there and safely make sure the environmentals were at the right temperature. So we build a lot of features like that, but primarily it's, it's all electric, this high-end components, all lithium ion batteries and all, like I said, managed by software. So it makes it just easier. And we also designed the electrical system to be more like your house. So you don't have to worry about managing the, what you have plugged in or how the batteries are going to run out. So it's really a different approach to thinking about making it more easy to enjoy the wire out camping. All right. So I want to rotate through everybody else, but one last question I have for you. And then obviously you can jump into the conversation. We'll probably come back to you at some point, but tell us what the future if you could do what you want to do that's in your Silicon Valley head, right? There is Aon RV tech-wise or wherever-wise in five years. Yeah, in five years. So we're in the, what I call the fourth phase of our company. We're really scaling manufacturing. So we're going from building them one-off into a production line. And our vision of the future is more software, more integration, more ease of use and just scaling up our manufacturing to meet the demand as we have such a big backlog right now it's really just focused on that and in terms of we'll expand the product line some different platforms we're going to do a towable or trailer we have a lot of people that want this using the same technology awesome super excited to to check in with you and again please stick around we'll go find a question to come back to you i promise we'll let you leave you saying that the whole show, but feel free to just jump in if you have any comments or anything like that. I think I want to start with Jenny first from Terramore, because Jenny, my plan is we talked about before the show is have you talk about Terramore. We'll go talk to Dan Angela and then maybe come back and talk a little about customer experience or some of the other data points that KOA has to share and things like that. Jenny, for those who have been perhaps, I don't want to say living in a hole, but who don't know about Terramore, let's start there. Yeah. So uh, Terramore is brand from Camp Friends of America. We opened in August of 2020, and right now we have one resort located in Bar Harbor, Maine. Um, and it's truly an elevated, I don't want to say glamping, but camping experience. Yeah, 64 canvas tents on property. They all have in-suite bathrooms. We have a large lodge, really modeled after a national park lodge, which has food service, gear lending. We have a on-site uh, outfitter who's more like a concierge and they'll help our guests really direct them to certain adventures in the area, set up tours. This year, for the first time, we're going to actually do hosted hikes through Acadia National Park, which we're really excited for. So just really overall, more of a 
elevated getaway at elevated outdoor resort that, that KOE is, uh, has made. And so we're, we've had, uh, we've had that one open now for, this is our fourth season and we're looking at expanding and opening some more locations throughout the country. Sorry for the, apparently the construction people decided it was warm outside and they're building <laughs> something horrifically large right off my balcony. So I apologize okay. for the noise if you guys can hear that, but so tell us for Terramore, right? So walk us through the thought process from KOA's perspective of obviously there's very clearly a demographic, there's a need to separate glamping, luxury camping, whatever we're going to call it, into the separate resort area. And then there's also the campgrounds, the franchisees that you work with too, from the KOA side, who are building facets of glamping that are obviously totally different to Terramore into their properties. So what was the thought process with KOA when we were, I imagine the first step was like, let's put glamping or something similar into the campgrounds and then it evolved from there. Yes. Yeah. The, the KOA's mission is connecting people to the outdoors and each other. And, um, we do as we're a big research driven company since 2014, we've been putting out the, the national camping report in about 2018, 2019, we noticed that there was really this big push for what was termed glamping at the time, people staying indoors in a unique accommodation. And so we did some further research to really try to identify who these, who these guests were and what they were expecting and what glamping really meant. And what we found was that it was. It was really undefined glamping to somebody could be staying in a tent in somebody's backyard, or it could be a really high-end resort like Paza um, in Montana, where it's very expensive, it's all-inclusive. But there was this really big need from the leisure traveler market, not necessarily the camping market, people who identify as campers, but the leisure traveler market for outdoor experiences. And so we knew that we do outdoor experiences well. And we really believed that we could help connect people who aren't campers to the outdoors in another way. And that's really where Terramore came up from. So Terramore literally means love of land. So Terra is land and Amor is love. And it's been, it's been really fun to see the demographic of people that come through and our ta- target audience. And we do get some crossovers. So we do get some KOA campers that will come to Terramore and probably vice versa, but it's been great because we get a lot of repeat guests too, which means we're doing something right and connecting them to the outdoors. So I remember reading, and I don't know how many years ago it was, how many years Terramore's only been open for a year? Are you sure? It feels like longer. No, four years. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I know I'm getting old and I'm losing my memory. I thought it was longer. Okay. So I remember reading though, like years ago of all the high-tech things that Terramore was going to put into the property when you were first announcing it. And it's for sure, like still today is amazing, all the stuff that you packed into there, right? Mm-hmm. From a technology or experience standpoint, or just the unique things that you had never seen before in the outdoor hospitality space. As you've moved forward now, four years into this, and I think one day there may be some other locations for Terramore in the future, but as you look toward those newer locations and some of the things that you've seen the other people who are in the glamping industry at the same level that you are come out with. And I keep calling it glamping. There's no good word for it yet. I think luxury camping is a better fit, but anyway, so as you see what those people have come out with and added and enhanced and innovated with, are there things that you're looking or you would like to do at Terramore that further would enhance that experience at your next resort or? Yeah, we're always looking to improve. And I think that's one of the fun things about creating a new brand within a large, very established brand. We have the backing and the history of 60 years of outdoor hospitality, but we've been able to be really nimble and have changed. As you said, when we first started in 2020, we had great concepts, things that we were going to do. And after that first year, many of those things we realized weren't feasible from an operational standpoint or our guests didn't really want them. And so we've been able to change and really define those guest experiences. I'm constantly visiting other outdoor resorts or glamping resorts just to see what they're doing well and how we compare and what the industry is doing. Right now, there's a lot of focus on more digital check-ins and more less people and more seclusion from some of those outdoor experiences. And we're going in the other direction. We've noticed that our guests really value our staff they'll come in and they'll know our staff by first, their first name, and they'll have conversations with them. They'll ask their, their opinions on things to do. And so while many groups are going more digital, we're taking a step back and we're bringing people back in. So that's one of our 
main pushes this year is to even create more on-site experiences utilizing our staff and off-site experiences. And I think that's really important. And I think this would be a good segue after I ask this next question based on our previous conversation to Dan and Angela, right, about experiences and then how people engage at their campground too. Remember your answer, right, Angela? Word for word. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. So when you talk about experiences like that, I think you're right. I think that it's really interesting because there's a market for everything, right? Almost everything. But so if you go, and it frustrates me, by the way, for the consumers, and I'm not suggesting that you need to answer this question, but it frustrates me that like, we can't just all have that iPhone thing like Steve Jobs, where I'm just going to introduce something and everybody's going to love it. And they didn't know they needed it before. And they're just going to buy everything. And I'm going to control all the things, right? I just want to put all this with my clients too, right? Like, I just want to give them all the AI tech and just have them like want it from day one because I know how cool, right? But it doesn't work that way. But either way, if you do, if you're a data-driven company, if you do your market research like KOA clearly does, you realize that maybe this didn't work, but maybe this does and let me pivot. And then, and I think that's really an interesting direction to add into because you're right. We hear a lot of the emphasis on the tech, the less touch points, people don't want to call and talk to somebody on the phone. And certainly there's a very clearly a demand for that. But I think if the whole industry overcompensates that way, there's a big void that's going to have to be filled. Would you agree? Or? Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm a, <clears throat> I'm very into customer service and having that people touch point, <clears throat> which probably is not normal. I'd rather call somebody than try to send an email and wait for a response or try to do the chat GPT and not be able to communicate effectively. But as an example, I recently stayed at a competitor and it was all, it was all tech based from, we just got slammed with emails on the codes to gates and the codes to the house and what to do once you're in the location and just please don't do this and please don't do that, but please do yeah. this. And it gets to the point where it's overwhelming in the communication. And then as the guest and as the user, how you read something is not necessarily how the person wrote it, right? What the intention was. Your so perception. Things, yeah, the perception. So it can come across very negative when you don't mean to be negative. And there was nobody to contact if, per se, your toilet broke <laughs> or something. And so just having a face for the property and for the brand is very important. Yeah, I think this is something that the whole industry is going to have to come to grips with, right? What is the middle ground? Because there surely is value in technology, both from a time-saving standpoint and a guest experience standpoint. And I don't want to spend too much time on this. I'm going to you, Dan, actually, in a second. But what is that balance between overwhelming, but also giving them the information they need, but not more than they need? And then, again, always making sure that customer experience is there. If you have, chances are, if you've done everything correctly and you're operating a good park, a good resort, whatever else, and you've provided all the information, you've done all the studies, you've given everything, everybody you want, right? And you've learned from your mistakes, then most people aren't going to need that customer touch point, but it's got to be there no matter what. Like you have to be able to, I can't remember who this was. I think it was Marriott. I'm going to call out Marriott on the show. Like it took me, I'm a platinum elite member in Marriott. It took me 25 minutes to find a customer service number the other day. Nowhere in the app, nowhere in my emails, nowhere on the website, nowhere in the content. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, there has to for sure be a balance to that. And like you mentioned, and like whatever the technology ends up being. And for us, like we, we do the AI chatbots and okay, has got a great AI chatbot. They just released two. For us, we didn't even consider that problem in the beginning. And it was an issue we had to run into with a client where they said, what if somebody types, there's a bear outside my cabin or my toilet's clogged. Like no AI in the world, no matter how smart that is, is going to be able to solve it. Right. So we had to build something into our chatbot where it could detect an emergency and it would send a text message to somebody. Yeah. But those are yeah. the cool the things you just have to run into and realize are problems. Yeah. And the only thing I would add there too, is there's opportunities to have that human element with digital, right? With those yeah. touch points. And we've done that with creating videos on how to use your tent. And so as soon as they check in, we have an actual, a video of an actual person walking through the tent and utilizing and showing them how to use everything. And that's eliminated a lot of questions that we've gotten from our desk, but it still gives that human element to it. So there's that balance, like you said, you just have to think outside of the box of how you can make it both work. How far away do you think we are from the hologram version of Jenny walking everybody through their tent? <laughs> Very far away. All right, we got to put that. Yeah, I think. Send, send an email. You know, I, I was... Cole has to put that on his radar. Like yeah. <laughs> 
so Dan and Angela, I want to pivot to you for a second and talk about your campground. Yeah. So we were talking the context for the people who are nobody was watching the show before we started was we were talking about how the difference between, and I want to go back to that too, because I think that's a good piece of your conversation, Jenny, later, is the difference between how guests come to KOA and experience that versus how, and this is part of what we're going to talk about, right, at Terramore. But the, the, we were talking about that conversation of how campgrounds at the KOAs and obviously many other campgrounds are full of life sometimes, depending on the type of campground, right? And they're swimming in the pool and they're, playing miniature golf and they're in the store and they're having ice cream and sitting around having picnic tables or lunch at picnic tables and things like that. But it's different at Dan and Angela's campground. They're going to tell us that in a second, I think intentionally, but it's different at glamping sometimes too, depending on the design and the type of people that are coming there. So before we get to that though, do you want to just tell us about Cuyuna Range Campground and how you guys got started? Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely have Dan speak to the infrastructure installation and all of the paperwork and everything that kind of went into starting the campground. But we started the process in December of 2020 when we bought, it's on just under 40 acres. We bought some wooded raw land in Crosby. And so had to kind of figure out how we wanted the campground to be laid out. We definitely wanted it to be wooded, private, secluded, but we're still only 10 or 15 minutes from a number of different towns and activities and lakes. So how do we get that feel without just raising all of the trees on the property? So it was, you want to talk a little bit about kind of the process that we took? Sure. We had an idea on what we wanted to bring. We wanted these more private sites. We felt like that was something that nobody else is really bringing to the table. Every, usually when people make a campground, it's how many people, I've got this much space, how many people can I fit in this space sort of thing. And we decided to go a little bit different where you want at least a little bit of privacy between each site and you have your own area rather than your neighbor's pullout is going right into your campfire sort of thing. That's really so, interesting. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's really interesting because I think the, and I don't, if anybody wants to agree with me here, right? But I think there's two kind of sides. We were talking about going all the way, right? Like with the customer experience and glamping. I think mm -hmm. some people have seen that happen. And maybe this is just my experience, right? But you've typically got that state park, BLM land, super quiet, isolated nature experience. And then it seems like the industry for the last number of years has been going toward what you're talking about. The more of the put as many people as we can with the luxury of, it's still a great experience, nobody's knocking it, but put as many people as you can with the nice deluxe pads and everybody can see each other and there's that kind of amenity. But I don't know, maybe we've overcompensated in that way to a certain extent and, there need, and there's a middle ground that can be filled by people like you. Yeah, I definitely think that there's folks who are looking for that kind of experience, right? They go with several other families. They want to all be in the same spot. They want to have all of the amenities so that that's, that is the destination is the campground. And our focus was really more developing a campground. That's a home base for RV campers where they can be in nature. It's not just a kind of a wide open space. They can have some of the privacy. They can have their the spaciousness. All of our campsites are 40 feet by 60 feet and they have 30 feet of woods in between. So it's, and it's only 17 sites. So it's not a big campground when you go, even if it's completely full, you don't feel overcrowded. It's not noisy. It's definitely more lively, I guess I would say in the evening, because people are coming back from going out and exploring the area, going out to eat. And then you have a lot of campfires and it's nice and dark so you can see the stars. So I think it's a nice, balance because we offer the amenities of full hookups, picnic table, fire pit, but also the amenity of nature. And that's, I think, something that a lot of our guests have really appreciated in their feedback is you guys obviously put a lot of thought into how you were laying this out and the, the feel of the campground. So that's been nice feedback to hear. And I think something that was missing in the area in Crosby, there's a lot of camping options for tenting and smaller campers, but not really a lot for the bigger RVs or the bigger campers that have that nature, that space, that privacy, and also the full hookup amenities. And I want to go, I want to go back to Dan and give him a chance to finish because I rudely cut him off. But 
Dan, I think that's, I'd love to hear more of the thought process behind how that decision was made, right? Because you obviously had the land. If you had 30 feet between each site, for sure there's at least room to put one more site in there if you wanted to make more money. So that had to be a conscious decision of, I want to prioritize the experience more than what I'm going to earn from the property. So was there, I'm assuming there was a story behind that more than I just want to give some room for the bears to be in between the sites or? (laughs) There are bears. I think a big part of it is we liked it better that way. We both enjoy our privacy at times. And we, we've been to Alaska a couple of times, past time we went, we were RV camping. And a lot of the sites there are a little bit more spread out and you have your own area. You're not sharing an area with everyone else. And we really liked that. So let's look around. Let's see if anyone else is doing this kind of in our area. And they weren't. And we talked to a lot of people, got their thoughts on it. What would you think about this? And a lot of positive feedback. So we just went with it. That's awesome. But how, so how did you though, I mean, I, obviously when you were talking to people there, that financial component comes into it, right? So how did you decide right. how much space was going in between? How many total RV sites you wanted? The layout of that, like how did that come together? Sure. When we were coming up with the design, initially, we were planning on a few more. Like 30 to 40. I think yeah. originally we were planning on it being a little bit bigger. Yeah. And then I think we redesigned it down to 25 or mm-hmm. something like that. But because of the way, so we had a wetland delineation and because sure. of the way like certain plants grow in certain areas, you can't build on certain areas. So we had to redesign it again. And then we came up with this best design that we could as far as the delineation played out. And we're also building a house on that site. So we'd want our house to be a little bit private, not right in the campground sort of thing. So with the land that you've got and the way the delineation was, that's just where we designed things around. So where does the future go for Coyona Ridge? Are you happy with the 17 sites? Are you adding amenities? Are you adjusting like Terramore is? Are you? Where do you go? I mean, we're pretty new. We're in a data gathering phase right now. We're seeing how booked we are, what's the demand. We do have some area to expand if we want to. So we're, yeah, that's where we're at. We've gotten through one season. We're looking forward to our next year and gathering the data and seeing where to go next. Awesome. Stick around. I want to talk to you obviously a little bit more as the show goes on. Jim, I'm curious, where do you, where do most of the Aeon RVs end up? Are they mostly BLM land campers or do they, is there some private campground components to it or? Yeah, I think they end up in various places, but it's the vehicle is primarily designed for going off road and off grid. But of course, when you're traveling, people also like to stop at campgrounds and so we have, when we use it, we stop at a, we'll find various places we like to go. It just depends on where we're at. So it's designed, it's got, hook, it's got hookups in terms, it doesn't have plumbing hookups. It's not designed for that, but you can plug into shore power when you're, when you're at a charging station. So it's a 30 amp charger. It's all a mix and our customer base is spread all over. So we have people in Virginia, North Carolina, other places in Northeast and a lot of those areas, there's less chance to camp in BLM land or something like that. So people do it all over the place. Do you think that as you enjoy more success, you said what, 135, 137 units that are back ordered or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So as you, do you, if you can, not if, when you continue, we're all going to be positive. Here. When you continue to enjoy the success you are and even more, do you feel like there's an opportunity for you to pivot into different types of models that might be better suited for, because you have a high tech background, right? So yeah. incorporate some of that tech into models that might be better suited or used more at private campgrounds? Our fundamental mission and value proposition is around the, the Aon name. So it's all season electric cabin, off-road, off-grid and new and high tech. So we will be building other models. And I mentioned we're probably going to be rolling out a trailer with still similar characteristics next year. But we're not really, we're looking to just go into that niche. We're not really looking to expand into kind of general RVs, if you will. It's a pretty focused niche that is a growing niche though. So it can, certainly people can take it in campgrounds and that's not a problem. That's really our focus is to have that capability. And really the all season thing is fundamental. 
that's what I was getting at. I guess I just didn't ask the right question because specific to the plumbing, I feel like that's really only the small tweak that you might need. But with mm-hmm. all season, I know Jenny. I don't know if you have these statistics in front of you, but there was a lot of talk about winter camping, right? Being on the rise at KOA. Yeah. So yeah those types of units, right, might be actually an interesting niche market for you to expand into and still be niche. Yeah, absolutely. The and I don't have the statistics in front of me either, but winter camping is just the interest in winter camping and how many people are trying it for the first time. It just continues to grow. And I think about some of the winter destinations that I like to go to and individuals that do like ice climbing and whatnot and right up that alley. Yeah, yeah right. that's really interesting because we have gotten questions about whether we have winter camping and right now our current permit doesn't allow for it, but it's definitely something that we've been thinking about in the future. There's a little bit more work associated with it in terms of plowing all the snow. This year, it'd be no problem. We have no snow. But in, in other years in the future, in this area, there's a lot of fat tire biking in the winter. There's a lot of snowshoeing. So I, I think that's something I'll be interested to read the new KOA report, Jenny, because we definitely referenced those reports as we were doing our business research and business plan because that's something we have on our radar for the future as an opportunity. Because in Minnesota, the camping season is quite short. So most half of the year we're closed. I was curious, Jim, if there is a like temperature range. (laughs) In Minnesota, it can tend to get down to negative 20, negative 30. Is there a range on the temperatures that you could take the RV in? Yeah, so let me... So besides just making sure your water doesn't freeze, there are some other technical things that you want to make sure that you handle. One is condensation. So if you camp in a traditional RV, a lot of times, especially if it's a metal van that's been insulated, you have condensation issues. And that's because you have thermal transfer from the outside to the in. So we designed the RV specifically to have no thermal transfer from the outside to in, and it's all fiberglass. So there's no metal that goes from outside to in, so you can't form condensation. And that's a really key thing, especially when you're sleeping, because you put out a lot of moisture that would condensate on any cold material inside. The second thing we do, which is unique for our size, is we have an insulated sliding door that shuts off the cab where you're driving, which is not insulated and has single pane windows. And that's a one inch insulated door that's R7. And that's a kind of a game changer in keeping condensation forming on the windows, both or, or heat transfer from cold to hot, both in summer and, and in the winter. And so those are other key technical things. To answer your question, one of our first customers lives in Alaska and he took his RV up there. And last year he camped all winter in Alaska. He's a big backcountry skier and he was camping down to minus 20 Fahrenheit very comfortably. So our RV is about five times better insulated than a traditional RV. And so that's another key factor. So if you keep it warm in the winter, you use much less energy. So our batteries, and we actually heat with a heat pump. So a traditional, like a kind of a heat pump. So you can actually heat down to minus 13 Fahrenheit with that. And then we have a air heater that runs off the gas in the engine or then the gas tank that will work down to minus 40, if you will. So we're very comfortable saying you could camp in minus 20 degrees in our RV without any issues. Yeah. Nice. And this is like, again, I think this is just, we're exploring this more, right? But if you look at Dan and Angela or many campground owners who close during the winter, you know, there's certainly a segment of campground owners who just want to go to Florida and don't want to talk to customers for a while, which they probably deserve. I'm definitely not brave enough to own a campground and deal with customers for even three months. But for the segment of people who would like to expand their business based on either data from KOA or just because they want to serve people deeper into these months because there's demand, I think there's a lot of opportunity for a vehicle that can go off-road but can traverse some of these places that would have to be plowed too often or in upper Minnesota or harder to access. And so I think there's a lot of this infrastructure here that opens up some of these markets for both of you guys. Is it I agree. Yeah, like piece, to, to go off road, right, Jim? But not really, yeah. like maybe not as far yeah. off road. Yeah. Oh, the other so thing for winter camping that we specifically sorry, wanted to, to talk have. Over you. But yeah, but the, but the infrastructure that you provide that these other RV manufacturers are probably not going to build. Yeah, it's it, they would have to change things in a dramatic way. But the other thing that we wanted to do was 
especially for winter camping, was the ability to store all your gear inside in those cold temperatures. So we have a big gear garage where you could put a fat tire bike inside your, or your cross country skis or your snowshoes, or more importantly for me, my downhill skis and my boots. So they're actually all stored inside. And we even have a feature where we have a boot warming area in the gear garage where we actually ducked in heat, specifically say your ski boots or your, your whatever, if you're, whatever you want could be heated. That's the kind of things that we're doing. That's awesome. All right. Let's pivot, Jenny. Let's go back to you for a minute. Let's talk about customer experience. Because I think that it's really interesting to me. Again, we talked, we touched on how customer experience has evolved. But what does, let me just throw this to you. What does customer experience mean to Jenny? Wow, that's a loaded question. Huh? I, I just didn't want to talk anymore. Everybody's tired of hearing you know? I think it's meeting our customer of where they are. We really train our staff to help our guests adventure at their own pace. So really understand what they're looking for out of their vacation. Vacations are sacred. We don't get as many as we should. We don't take as many as we should. So understanding what it is that the guest is looking for. We talked about having people on site to develop those relationships for, but not everybody wants that. As you, as people come in and really understanding their energy and are, do they want to just be left alone? Are they looking for that weekend getaway where they're off tech and they're reading and they're just getting back into nature and doing a refresh? Or is it somebody who is, is truly looking for some recommendations? This is their first time in Acadia. They want to know what hikes to do, even on the level of what level hiker are they? So really understanding who they are and what it is that they're trying to accomplish for their trip. So how do you do that on a per person basis, right? Because obviously you can do that from a demographic standpoint, or if you're working with Scott in one of your KOA reports, but how do you do that on a person by person level? Is there just a button and you press for human and one pops out of the closet or? <laughs> if I had the right answer to that, then I'd be doing, I'd be a millionaire. Well, but certainly you're running a great would be report, so you must yeah. have some idea of how to get a sense of, right? So we, yeah, I mean, we do several things. We do a lot of touch points pre-stay that are, you know, pre-state communication, links to itineraries. We do pre-state text messages. Once they get there, we have that human component and that human element tied to where we, again, we train our team to address the individual by name or find some commonality with them, recognize when they come back from a trip and ask how their day is. And then even when they're visiting us, but they're not on site doing some automated text messaging or or whatnot to create that interaction with the guests still. But it's a lot of it is creating the culture at your campground or your resort where you have staff that want to interact and they want to, they want to create that really great experience for others. So you don't think the button would work? It, maybe for some, for some it might. We're going to study the button things because they're not kidding. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, understanding those preferences is something that's long been the holy grail of marketers too. It, I mean, it, obviously customer experience from your standpoint, but marketing plays a big role in that too, research and all that kind of stuff. And it's something we've long struggled with too. Like you, we have, we still do email marketing for people. I know you guys do email marketing at KOA and obviously Terramore too, but there's a, there's that difference of how do I not send an email blast to 20,000 people? When I know that the content of that email is only going to be valued by 5,000 of those people, how do I segment them into groups and provide more value and give them a targeted message? That's the same way of like, how do I get those answers from customers about what they prefer? How do I log that? How do I manage that in the CRM? So I make sure I don't have to ask them every time they come if they're repeat guests. It's really interesting the way the technology is progressing and how it's going to enable us to do more of that and provide better service while still, again, connecting them with the outdoors. Yeah, I think the, the key there is just listening to your guests, right? And it, it starts from the beginning when they ask questions about their stay all the way through the their stay, whether they're chatting with friends or whatnot, just being aware and listening to their conversations because there's so many things that you can pull from those yeah. conversations and those little comments or remarks and then all the way to their after stay um, reviews. And that really changed a lot of our customers experiences and our on-site amenities based off of some of those reviews. It's funny well, that's what I, actually tell you. So. That's what I think tech enables though, right? Because there's so many 
mom and pop campgrounds or even people with five or six employees who absolutely want to pay attention to hang on every single word that a guest says to make the experience the best they possibly can but they're catching him in the middle of a campground when they're trying to fix a busted sewer pipe or right and they listen they hear and then it's gone in five minutes and so i think mm -hmm. that's the important piece of utilizing that tech as one example of here's how i can gather aggregate collate that data and then actually take action on it instead of remembering two out of ten yeah, we are definitely the mom and pop campground that you're It's just Dan and I running it. So when we developed our technologies, a lot of it, we tried to have be more kind of self-serve, lower maintenance. So we have, they book online and we have some automated emails that go out ahead of their stay, but everything has our phone number on it. So they can all, and we, it's interesting because we do have a mix. Right? We have people who will call, we'll have people who will send us an email, we'll have folks who will use the contact us button on our website. And then we, mostly Dan, will walk through the campground and some people really do want to engage and we'll have some really nice conversations with them and see how things are going. And other people, they wave because they're in their camping mode and that's great. So we have a mix of, there's the technology side of it and we, created a survey for folks last year so that they could fill out what did you like, what could we improve, and there's some things this year that we're implementing, just smaller things, but it's nice. You think you create a really nice campground. It's always nice to hear that the things that you were focusing on are what people are appreciating. So yeah, Dan does all of the customer service aspect of it, and I know I'll let you speak. So I'm the chatter of the two of us, if you <laughs> couldn't tell. <laughs> so, What do you want to know? <laughs> Anything you want to tell us? It's, we designed it relatively passively. That was the idea. Angela's got a job and I've got other things that I'm doing too with real estate. We can't, we didn't want something where we'd have to be operating a gate, letting everyone in, things like that. We wanted. That's the way we design it to be relatively passive. And for the most part, it is. There's not a whole lot to go wrong there. It's just campsites and hookups. And, and they have multiple ways to get in contact yeah. with us. Yep, our phone number is on every site, or my phone number is on every site. <laughs> and we just don't run into many issues. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Takeaway I'm taking from this whole show is that Jim can solve all the world's problems. If you just added a few tweaks to his RV. Jim, have you seen these new tiny little robots that Samsung came out with at CES? Uh, rolling no. wheel. Disney's got one too, and I think Samsung's got one. And well, Samsung. No, I'd looked at the new Rabbit product that was an AI product kind of device that came Oh, that, yeah, I ordered, I pre ordered one of those. Yeah. Yeah, those are cool. That's yeah. great. I don't know if that's long lasting, but I'll have fun playing with it. Can I ask Dan and Angela, um, are you guys using a specific booking software platform or do you, did you do something yourself or how does that work for you guys? We, so I built a website on WordPress and mm -hmm. then we have a Vic booking plugin that does all of the booking and scheduling. And so far that's worked really smoothly. And then all of our payments are through Stripe. So it all just connects and we haven't had any issues with that, but yeah, that's, that what, that's what we're using. For the, size, for the size you are, I think that works. I think that works Yeah. Fine. Yeah. So Jim, like briefly, I don't want to harp on this, but the little bots, can we have them like the button thing? Can we have them <laughs> come out of the little closet? <laughs> with a little what? I'm sorry. I'm that's what I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Anyway, okay, so we got about 10 minutes left here. Jenny, do you have any more ideas? Anything you want to talk about? I have a lot of ideas. No, I don't think I Make have any. one out of the air. We'll talk about it. Whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> I don't have anything specifically, no. I, the, Angela, you mentioned our report. We will be coming out with our camping report, outdoor hospitality report here in the next few months. So oh, nice. I know we have some really good data and insights to share there. So on the lookout for that but no i don't think i necessarily have any huge if you don't have a good idea i'm going to be forced to talk about like geeky seo spammy things that i ran into for well, i have a topic i'd be interested in hearing these go anything that stops me from talking the audience will love let's go yeah so 
one of the big things I think that, especially as we go off-road and off-grid, is sustainability. As the population grows, more people are interested in camping. And we've already seen like BLM land usage, the federal government trying to cut back because people aren't cleaning up or they're driving in places or camping in places they don't shouldn't go. And then it also relates to our vehicles. Like for us, we're, we're trying to build a vehicle that lasts longer, higher quality. So that's one aspect of sustainability, energy and inputs in the energy and inputs out and making it just more sustainable for things like not using propane. It's not perfect, of course. We're using lithium ion batteries. They have to be recycled. So you have those issues. But I'm just curious what from other people think about where that trend is going as maybe more people look to camp because it's something we think about and worry about, if you will. Yeah, I can talk through a little bit from the, the KOA standpoint and even from Tiramore standpoint. As we evolve, we're really looking at sustainable practices throughout the system as well. So anything from simple things like adding the water fill stations and getting rid of plastic bottles at properties to adding EV charging and solar, there's things that we can do within even like our septic systems to be more sustainable. What I will say is I think the industry that we're in naturally leans for us to be more sustainable because our guest is starting to expect it more. And the great thing is that we're introducing nature and the environment to people. And so the more people have those experiences in nature and have those outdoor experiences, the more they're going to want to preserve it. And so we're, we're also creating that culture of wanting to have sustainability. And so it's this big cycle, right? You just have to continue to look to see what you can do and what's viable. I know one of the areas that we have some in the KOA side that we have some hardships with is just the recycling in general. Some communities, it's really hard to re recycle. And so we're trying to solve for that within our system. That was one of the most interesting things moving up to Canada. I know this is unrelated, but the recycling aspect of it, because I came from Ohio and there was very few things plastic wise, like you had to look at your plastic. What type of plastic is it? What numbers on the bottom? Is this going to be able to recycle? There was virtually no composting in Cleveland where I was, at least I didn't hear of it. And I come up here and like, I had to, it took me a year almost to get used to it. And my girlfriend had to keep reminding me like, literally anything that is plastic, anything that is paper, anything, just put it in there and they'll do it. And so it was really interesting to me, just the difference in, and I'm sure that exists in some US cities too, but it wasn't where we were at. But the ability of that, we can all of a sudden make use and recycle a lot more than we could before. And the technology is there. So how do we get that, be stewards of that and make that available to more people? I don't want to have that conversation. That was related to, I think, is there certain innovations at Terramore? I know KOA was working at, on solar panels, right? At least one park in Arizona a few years ago that I read about. Are there specific innovations that makes Terramore a little bit more of an eco-friendly clamping operation or places you'd like to head that will do that? Yeah. So, so Terramore, when we built our property in Bar Harbor, we turned an existing KOA into Terramore. Um, and so we actually replanted, I think, over a thousand native trees because it went from an RV park, which is typically more clear cut to really private experiences and forested experiences. We try to utilize locally made products and services. We utilize local ingredients in our restaurant. We have our own herb garden on site that will hold within our restaurant too. But one of the biggest things that we did this year, and it was actually really surprised on how well it was received with our guests is we added honeybees. And so we have five or six honeybee hives and we have a beekeeper and we go out and we check our honeybees and we planted blueberry bushes and wildflowers um, all around it. We started doing a beekeeper's talk once a week and it quickly became one of the most favorite activities at our resort. People love it. And we've now bought more beekeeping suits. So our guests will be able to go in and actually see the bees and learn about why they're so important. So. It's bringing in those educational experiences as well. This is one of those, again, we'll close maybe on experiences here. And I think that this is one of those things that goes to that. There's so much you can do in the outdoor hospitality industry, whatever you call it, glamping, camping, whatever, right? That no one, like you consistently hear the same ideas 
often when you'll go to, and it's not a slate of conferences, right? But when you go to conferences, you hear not from the same people, but the same type of ideas. And you don't often hear about the beekeeping ideas or the unique things that no one else has considered because they're not as widespread as they are before. But that stuff is fascinating. And you can unlock such a huge new market. This actual next report that Scott and I are going to release for MC in February, early February is going to talk a little bit about event hosting and different ways you can do some unique things on your campground. But that is, we were in Iceland in September and went into a greenhouse full of tomatoes. And there was tons of bees just flying all over that. And the instant thought is they're going to bother me. They're going to be a, right? I don't want to get stung, but they're not anywhere near you. They don't want anything to do with you. They just want to do their work and the ability to educate those people, like you said, on, and that loops back into nature and conservation and eco-friendly and how the bees make sure the flowers exist. And you know, I think just there's so many opportunities out there for campground owners to, to embrace and adapt these unique aspects. Of it. And I'm glad to see that. Moore's doing that. I know other people are too, right? But so, yeah. anybody have any final closing thoughts? No, you're all just gonna let me wrap it up. <laughs> all right, thank you guys. I appreciate it for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Dan and Angela wish you all the best at Cuyona Range Campground there in Minnesota. I'd love to check back in with you in a little bit, maybe, and see how you're going with another couple years under your belt. Maybe, Jim, yeah. waiting for you to solve all the world's problems, buddy. <laughs> As you keep stalling them, you just let well, us know. Our best. <laughs> we'll have you back on. And we want to, yeah. I'm excited to see where you guys go because I really do think there's a need for that. And I think you should explore some of the things we talked about. Maybe it ends up not making sense, right? But at least it's worth having a conversation as winter camping continues to grow in popularity because I think there's so many campgrounds that can stay open, like I said, and extend mm -hmm. their season. I think they need the help of rigs like you to, to make that happen. And Jenny, thank you, as always, for all the great insights from KOA, from Terra Moore, from all that kind of stuff. Really appreciate all three of you being on here. And we will see you next week for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality. 